All right, cool. Okay, hi guys. So we're gonna start the Creative Cowboy Conversations. I'm doing this because it's a grade for school. So I decided to do it on, last semester I did it on like a Native American cowboy who was Shane Hendren. And this semester I decided to choose Gary Morton. And we became, I'm pretty sure we're friends now, <laughs> but we're gonna be talking about art, cowboying, ranching and the Western industry and how the Western industry is influencing the creative industry and how they're tying themselves together. And so Gary Morton is here with us today and he's from Sapio, New Mexico. I recently visited him at his place and it was so gorgeous, a lot of elk. And he co-founded the Working Ranching Cowboys Association and he he'll he'll introduce himself he does a very good a good explanation on what he does so Gary would you mind introducing yourself sure Kayla thanks for giving me the opportunity to be here mm -hmm. uh myself well I, I I started working on ranches when I was just a kid. Uh, 18 years old uh, barely out of high school and uh, Luckily, I went to work on the Bell Ranch, which is one of the bigger ranches in New Mexico. I worked there about 10 years, uh, and I didn't know anything when I started. Uh, worked there about 10 years, and after about eight years, I was the number two man there. I was the wagon boss. Uh, I always did enjoy doing art, even when I was a kid. Uh, I got upset and left that job one day at the Bell Ranch and started looking for another. And in the meantime, to make a living, I, I, I did my artwork. And I didn't find another job I liked. So finally dawned on me, you know what? You live six months off art. So I just continued it. It was, I think, good for me uh, because I kind of had the best of both worlds. I could come home and paint the life and, and the way I, I work, I, I would take my camera and go to work on different ranches and uh, take a lot of pictures. Usually when the spring branding came around or the fall weaning came around, a lot of those ranches still pull out wagons and I'd go day work and carry my camera and then go home in the winter when the weather's bad and paint pictures. So I, I did that for oh, 25 years and uh, I, I literally got burned out. And uh, so I went back to cowboy. <laughs> uh, it's funny because uh, I leased some big places and had cattle on those places, cared for cattle on those leases. Um, but 30 years after I left the Bell Ranch, I found myself back there again in camp. And, and worked there a couple of years, and it, it was really uh, good for me, but uh, cowboying's kind of a young man's game. And I knew I would eventually go back to my art. So after a couple of years of that, I moved here to Sapio. I take care of a little ranch and uh, part-time deal, and I paint my pictures. Yeah, you told me a story about when you sat on the board with the New Mexico Art Creative Board or something like that. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was a, quite a good experience. I liked it. Uh, it exposed me to a lot of different kinds of art. Um, I was the chairman of the New Mexico Arts Commission. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, uh, you know, one of those volunteer governor appointed boards. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually did that for three different governors. And of course, what they do, basically, they support the arts. They do it with National Endowment for the Arts money. Uh, at the time, we were giving out grants to the tune of about a million dollars total. And it was everything from the symphony to uh, folk arts, music, all, all kinds art that was created in New Mexico. And so it was, the best thing about it is I got to meet a lot of artists in all genre, 
from all over the state of New Mexico. Uh, after I was chairman of that for about eight years, uh, I went to work for the state of New Mexico, uh, running the Department of Cultural Affairs, which is a pretty big agency in government, and it, it uh, deals with all the state museums, the state library, historic preservation, the arts, uh, and once again, that was very interesting job. I, I've had two jobs in my life, art or cowboys. And now all of a sudden I'm having to put on a coat and tie and go sit behind a desk in Santa Fe. It was, it was quite an experience, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was fun. Yeah. You were telling me that you helped with the appropriations of Native American, like regalia and so forth of that. And since I'm Navajo and like a couple of us are Navajo, we, we, we appreciate that and we, we understand how important that is and seeing that you played a part in that, that's pretty interesting and pretty cool. And I'm just thankful that you were there to do that. And do you have any like stories from that? Oh, you know, in fact, I was, I was in that chair and the Museum of New Mexico basically holds huge collections of things of all kinds related to New Mexico. And much of that, uh, there are, uh, Gosh, there, I think there are nine museums under the umbrella of the Museum of New Mexico. And the museum that dealt with a lot of that was the Museum of Indian Arts and Culture uh, and the History Museum. And uh, so I was sitting in that <clears throat> chair overseeing all that when they, they passed a law called NAGPRA, mm -hmm. Native American Graves Repatriation. And... Uh, you know, it's, it's a great uh, law. It's, it's a great thing to do, but we found it very difficult. Uh, you know, some, some of the, the tribes would accept it and were glad to get those artifacts back. Others didn't want it. It was, I mean, I had to learn it was a cultural thing. It was different among everybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was quite a big project. I'm sure it's ongoing as we speak. Yeah, I bet it is. So when you talk about like the Western industry and the creative industry, how do you, do you wish they would tie together? Are you making anything to make the ties between them? Well, I think it happened already naturally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, most cowboys are pretty creative. And I, I think it's born of necessity. Uh, you know, most cowboys can make some kind of artwork. They, they learn to make their own bits or they learn to make their own saddles or boots. Or, um, and that, that was born of necessity of living rural and being poor all the time and all that. So they just learned how to make their own stuff. And, and I, I have several friends that are real cowboys and real artists that in that um, whether they make really neat gear, really high quality gear or paint, or sculpt. Uh, it's pretty amazing what they're capable of and they've been doing it forever. They had to. So I think that bridge is made. Uh, the trick is, is going to be to figure out how to make a living at it. Yeah. So you say you're partial to both sides, like cowboying and art. You can't do either one without the other. I feel the same way, too. Yeah, it's got to be to me. And, you know, I, I know everybody, not everybody will agree with this, but to me, it needs to be authentic. If, you know, I can paint a picture. I know I can. I can do a horse. I know I can. Somebody told me uh, uh, give me a million dollars to paint a boat. I couldn't do it. I'm, that's not where my heart is. And I think art of all kinds should come from the heart. Yeah, definitely. I know passion plays a lot into just being a cowboy and being an artist. You have to be passionate about what you want to do and wholeheartedly you have to go about it. And one thing I really appreciate about your artwork is that 
you pay attention to the details and to the cowboy who is on the horse and the your surroundings. You want it to be as authentic as possible. And that's what I want to portray. That's why I chose photography because it's easy. You just click and it's already there. But you have to have the the patience and the talent to actually paint it all. And I I just admire that, especially like when you were telling me about your paintings and the process that you go through. Well, yeah, I mean, and and here's my explanation or the way I feel about detail and authenticity. Every cowboy has to be pretty authentic. I mean, you can't do it riding around in a pickup. Uh, you can't. Uh, did I lose you? No, I'm still here. Okay. Can't, uh, can't. You got to be authentic. You got to get out there and do it. And you got to ride a horse to do it. There's a lot of places that not even these four wheelers. Uh, and, and they're generally, uh, you know, authentic, honest, hardworking people then they have a style of all their own. I mean, each each cowboy's gear, his saddle, his bits, everything, his hat, the way he shapes it, his shaps, and the way he, he likes those, all those things are important to him. You know, you would spend a month or two wages on a saddle, you're pretty proud of it. And, and then details become important to you as you go about your job. You might be riding down a fence and you see some hair on that fence. You wonder, hmm. And then uh, you, you take note of it and you find out you're short a cow or something. You go back to that spot. So you just have to pay attention to all the details. And so it translates into my artwork and that, that I want it real, I want it good. And I want the cowboys and I try to paint real cowboys they should be able to recognize themselves. Their friends recognize them. You know, and, and when you've ridden with a guy for a, a long time, you can see him coming two miles off in the pasture and know who it is just by the way he's riding. So all those things are important to me, and I just want it to be real. And, you know, I've been doing it for over 40 years. Did not know or even think about that I was doing history. Uh but looking at 40 years worth of paintings, a lot of those guys have passed on. Um, a lot of the ranches have changed operations where they no longer pull a wagon. They don't use as many horses. There's so much of it that in fact did become history just over the passage of time. I know I'm, I'm a history. I want to know everything about history and all of it I love hearing old stories and especially your stories and one story you were telling me about is when you lease the White Mountain Apache or the Mescalero Apache you lease land yes. them and you put cattle on them can you tell us about that that always makes my heart happy <laughs> yeah uh, I leased uh, part of the Mescalero Apache Reservation in 2009 and I had about 5,000 head of cattle down there uh, had, had myself and four other people that actually went down there and lived. I lived in a tent for eight months. We actually had three camps. One of them had a little house that belonged to the res, and uh, their other guy brought a camper trailer out and lived in it. But uh, we ended up, of course, they were Mexican yearlings. It's what they were, and uh, they they traveled a lot. And, you know, somebody leaves a gate open or fences down, and we had cattle all over the place. So really got a chance to see the, the reservation. You know, and the highest point on the res is uh, Sierra Blanca, and it's 12,000 feet. And, and then the lowest is right below it. And, and it's, it, so it goes up from alpine uh, region all the way down to desert. And uh, it's, I mean, in fact, it's just right straight up and down. And uh, so <clears throat> it was a, a 
thrilled to be there uh, living in a tent, you know, after you've done that a couple of months, you figure it out. It's, it's just home. Uh, I enjoyed the people there very much. I enjoyed learning about their ways, beliefs, all those things. We had, we had a pretty big time. <laughs> Worked hard. Uh, not a lot of water on, on the Muscarello Reservation. Uh, and there are not a lot of little small traps and pastures like where we could keep our horses at night. So we had places where we could camp, sort of limited. And, you know, we'd saddle up every day. We'd sometimes, well, every day I'd ride at least five or six miles to get even get in the pasture where the cattle were. And uh, a short day was 25 miles on horseback. And most of them were probably more like 50. And it is rough country, up and down, rocks and all those things. We did it pretty good, I think. It was fun. Yeah. What was your favorite thing about the Bell Ranch? Well, of course, I, I think I, I came of age there. I, I became a man there. Mm -hmm. I worked there when I was 18 and didn't know anything. The first couple of years was sure hard on me. And the cowboys initiated me as cowboys would. They did not make it easy on me. They, I had to prove myself. But once they figured out that uh, I wanted to do it and was interested in it and all that, and then they were really helpful to. Uh, so I guess the, it's it's a big ranch. It's it's 292,000 acres. Uh, it's an old Mexican land grant. And uh, it's just a great place, a great ranch. Uh, like all places, it can be wet or dry or drought or worse. And, uh, had about 100 and 10 or 15 head of saddle horses in the Ramuda. We pulled the wagon out. Uh, horses went with us. Our, that was our home for about a month in the spring and about six weeks in the fall. I enjoyed the wagon very much. Somebody would always bring a guitar, put, sing and play around the campfire at night. You know, and that's, that's the core of the cow work. Everybody gets in a good mood. It's serious work, but it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to share a picture of the Bermuda that you sent me. Yes. Cool. Can you explain it or just talk about it? Well, uh, that that's the Bermuda, and basically it was during the spring wagon, which at that time was June. They now pull it out earlier than that, but June is always hot and dry. And that's one reason they brand in. Number one, the calves are big enough to, to put a good brand on and, and you know they get over the, the stress pretty quickly. Uh, but it's June, it's hot, it's dry, the dust tells you that. Uh, the grass is trying to green up uh, and that that Mesa in the background, they call that Montoya Point. And the legend was, and I think it's pure legend, I'm, I don't know, but it's, it's a neat, neat story. The reason it's called Montoya Point, that the, the Bell Ranch was the Pablo Montoya land grant. And they say Pablo stood on top of that Mesa and looked to the south, stretched out his arms, and said, I claim everything I can see. And uh, applied for the grant and, and was it was given to him uh, by the Mexican government. This was after, after uh, Spain left and the Me Mexican government was formed. So those horses, uh, you know, they were just ranch horses. They're not as good a horses. They weren't as good a horses as they are today, not well-bred. There wasn't a single registered horse on the place, uh, but they were ranch horses and they were tough. And some of them were hard to ride, but every one of them could get the job done if you were a cowboy. 
Is that where your horse Cinco comes from? Yes, yes. It's the, the, the bell, and there's a mesa on the ranch called Bell Mountain, and, it, and it's kind of shaped like a bell, and that's where the, the brand came from, and the horses carried a, a bell brand on their left shoulder. Uh, this painting, we were, the, the corrals you see in the background are called beef pens, and we were moving the wagon that day, you know, that you don't move the wagon every day, you camp in strategic places where you might work two or three big pastures from that one location. Uh, and so we were moving the wagon to a different location that day. And the horses, uh, especially the older ones, they, they know the routine. You did it the same way, spring and fall every year. When, they, when you open the gate at the beef pen, they know where they're headed and they line out and they like they're ready to go someplace different. <laughs> so the Bell Ranch is out by Tucumcari, New Mexico, right? Yes, it's it's west of and a little bit north of Tucumcari, about uh, 35 miles. Yeah. You you said you grew up in Gallup as well, right? Yes. Uh, I, I actually graduated from high school in Gallup. I didn't spend a lot of time there. I spent uh, my senior year there. And uh, I had, my mom had a twin sister that lived in Gallup. And, and uh, I lived with, with my aunt and uncle. And that's actually how I got into Cowboy. And they were into rodeo. Mm -hmm. And they, they rodeoed a lot. They had kids that rodeoed. And, and I started going to rodeos with them and fell in love with the whole cowboy thing. And even rodeoed with them a little bit. I got on my first bucking horse at Rama, oh. right near the Zuni Ridge. Yeah, that's going for I-40? It's uh, Rama South I-40. Oh, okay. My cousin's sister's married out there. Well, she's about to be married out there, but <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. It's neat country. Yeah, it is. So talk about how you started the Working Ranching Cowboy Association. Well, I'm just one of about six guys that actually did it. Uh, a friend of mine named Waddy Mitchell, he's a pretty well-known cowboy poet was on some kind of trail ride at Amarillo, Texas. And they got to talking about this thing they wanted to do. And so uh, at the city of Amarillo, a couple of guys from Amarillo and, and Wadi approached the city of Amarillo to uh, do this. And they put Wadi in charge of finding the people that, that can make it happen. And Wadi is pretty well traveled in the West at that time. New, new people in every state. Uh, I was one of the guys he called from New Mexico. The American Quarter Horse Association and the Amarillo Chamber of Commerce actually financed this meeting. And they flew people in, they paid our mileage, and put us up in a hotel, provided meeting space, fed us and everything else for about three days while we had a meeting. Uh, and there was literally, I mean, two people from every state in the West. So there was 25 or 30 people there at, at the meeting. And we spent a couple of days talking about doing something. And part of it was the ranch rodeo and all that. And we were pretty ambitious. Uh, had a vote to make form the association. And also part of that vote was to put on a world championship ranch rodeo in a year. Uh, we decided to do it. Well, time went on and people had conflicts and, and other issues and it ended up, by the time we got to the first, well, even six months before that rodeo, six months after we started, there were only six of us left. And uh, we were determined to go ahead and do it. We, we had a few good sponsors that, that, that 
really helped us out. The city of Amarillo continues to be a sponsor. And uh, we pulled the first one off. Much to our surprise, it was profitable. Now, profit is, is uh, important to us because our profits go back to ranch families in the form of crisis help and, and scholarship money for ranch kids. Uh, we just celebrated last year our 25th year. And in 25 years, we've given well over $6 million in crisis and scholarships. We just had a meeting a few months ago for our next list, uh, slate of scholarship recipients. We currently have 46 ranch kids on scholarships. And they're four-year scholarships long as they keep their grades up. And you know, I'm pretty proud of that. person ought to give back to, to his culture. And I, I know you guys are starting the Youth Ranch Rodeo, the World Championship. I saw that and I was ecstatic. I was like, oh my gosh, I better get my brother's kids ready for that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah we're, we're uh, we're going to have that this year for the first time. It's coming in November. There seems to be quite a lot of interest in it. You know, the, the kids will qualify the same way the big guys do. Mm-hmm. There will be sanctioned rodeos around and the winning team. And this for the first year or two here, I think we're going to take the top two or three teams. And they will compete in Amarillo for the Youth World Championship. That's so neat. I I love that you call the cowboy culture your culture, and we as Native Americans have our own culture, and I'm just excited. I was so humbled to hear that culture has different definitions. When I was growing up, I just thought of culture as Native American culture was the only way culture could be survived, but now that I'm getting older, there's a whole lot of different cultures that claim that title and I'm like they deserve it and everything needs to be claimed like not claimed but to be proud of and to be passionate about something and that's what I really admire about you is your passion for the cowboy way of life in advocating for it and when I think of agriculture advocacy I look at you and you're doing a dang good job at it as well as art and being true to that so I think I think you're a pretty good spokesman yourself Have you ever thought about this? Cowboy culture, it has nothing to do with race or anything else. It it, uh, spans, it's a location, a livelihood, and a state of mind. And and it doesn't matter the race or anything else. That's cool. Yeah. I know. I was watching a show. It's called The Ultimate Cowboy. And they had some African-American cowboys and Hispanic cowboys. And I was like, that was so exciting. I know that they exist. And especially like Fred Whitfield and like all those like Corey Solomon, the cap ropers. And seeing that they're ranch working cowboys, it was it was amazing seeing that they, they can hold their own with a culture that is not race driven. It's very diverse. And I really appreciate that. And it's a welcoming culture. And that's why I love it so much. And I'm just grateful that my dad put us in that realm. And I got to meet a lot of people. And especially with you, I've you've helped me network and communicate with other people, other organizations that I'm passionate about. And I'm just grateful that I've I'm your friend now. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, so there's another image that I want you to talk about. Where is it? Oh, this one's one of my favorites. Hold on, let me do my screen share. This one here. Oh, the first day of spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that particular painting came from a ranch in northeastern New Mexico. And uh, I went up there to help them. And I don't, I can't even remember what we were doing to those cows. But it was a big joke that day because it literally was the first day of spring and that was the weather. Uh, 
And it was, you know, well, you know, the reason that that hurts so much is because you had a week of 70 degree weather and then here it is snowing and below freezing all of a sudden. So I just thought that was appropriate first day of spring. And it was actually on the CF ranch near uh, about 15 miles east of Springer, New Mexico. And it's a pretty flat out there and the wind blew a little bit. Nothing to hide behind. So talk about your process. Do you take your camera out in the field and snap pictures? You were telling me about that. Can you explain more about it? Yes, I do. Um, uh, very seldom do I, I mean, I go to a ranch to, to solely take pictures. I want to be a help in the work. And oftentimes just hire out. So I need to make a hand. So I, I just care. I don't carry a big fancy camera. I just carry a little pocket camera and uh, snap pictures when it's convenient. Uh, and and it's important to me to get uh, the candid things instead of uh, posing people and all that, which that you know they'd be glad to do. But but I. Cowboys get really self-conscious when you point a camera at them. It's not natural. So um, I just kind of like to sneak around and take pictures. And, and maybe with nothing in mind, I just you know think, well, this looks good, that looks good. And sometimes I, I take a lot of pictures that aren't any good at all. But I take those pictures while I'm out on the ranches, come home and look at all the pictures, and then start formulating ideas and all that, and, and oftentimes, very, in fact, more times than, than not, one picture doesn't, uh, alone, doesn't make a painting. I have to uh, use more than one photograph and make, you know, assemble things, make the composition, and try to make it say what I want it to say. And it's pretty rare if I capture a photograph that's got all that in it. So I have to sort of, Put things together to, to suit me. Yeah, when I take photos of my, my dad, especially because he's like the main person who runs the ranch here at Round Rock, so I I, I call it like a dance. When I do that, you have to you have to understand where to position yourself, not to spook the cows or spook the horses. So it's like a little dance that I do. Even at rodeos, when I do rodeo photography, I know when that bull's gonna run or when it's gonna charge. When I have to stay away from the fence to not disrupt the guy's score. And I just love that you you're in the life the lifestyle that they're in, and you understand the horses and you read cows, so you don't disrupt that authenticity. So that stays true to what you do and what you paint is super authentic and I really appreciate that. Yeah and you know there's quite a lot of photographers that go to these especially the big ranches and take photographs. Every cowboy I know has got a story or two of you trying to pin a bunch of wild cattle and their damn photographer standing in the gate. <laughs> so yeah it's important and then you know i I'm not a, a great cowboy, but I know enough to stay out of the way. Oh, yeah. You get your butt chewed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's this. And I like that. I like the photograph behind you very much. Uh, yeah, that's of my dad. That's one of yours, right? Yeah, that's of my dad. We were coming in from pulling in the cattle in and he was just lollygagging behind them and I didn't I saw the mesas and I was like okay that's a cool picture so I got off my horse and I was just following him with my lens and I captured that one nice very well done thank you I don't think I'll ever paint it in acrylic maybe I'll give it to you so you can paint it for me no, I mean, and that's another thing that I, um, that is your work of art. So mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't paint your work. I want everything to be mine. Oh, okay. 
So what's where's this picture or this painting from? That is the 06 Ranch uh, down near Alpine, Texas in the Davis Mountains, kind of the Big Bend country of Texas. Uh, that fellow in, in the yellow slicker, uh, I worked here for him for years, uh, and he's become quite a well-known poet. His name is Joel Nelson. He is a cowboy poet of the highest degree. And the 06 Ranch at that time ran straight Hereford cattle. I loved it. It's a big, rough ranch. Always pulled out the wagon. Uh, and and you can see uh, he, he's I, I stayed in the corral with him and helped him get a count on those cattle. He sent the rest of the crew out to the, another portion of the ranch to gather that and bring them back to the corrals as well. So that, that herd that's approaching uh, ended up being penned as well. Um, it's interesting. In fact, I just talked to some friends down that way the last week or so, and that ranch right today has no cattle on uh, it is so bad dry down there that they don't have anything to eat. So they cleaned it off and sold the cattle. Hmm. The drought deal is uh, very, very serious down there. I mean, it is everywhere. It's really bad down there. That's, a, that's crazy. We've had a big drought here too, and we we have some cows up in Colorado too that we have, and we don't. We've been trying to pull them out too. So what we got here on the reservation is practically all we have right now, which is fine. And we have other families that run cows with ours, so we have to be very cautious of not overgrazing and making sure that the vegetation will survive so it's like it's a dance as well that you have to do and it's a formula that you have to be cautious of and some people aren't cautious of that and I think that's why range management is another big thing that we have to teach everyone not just with cattle but with horses and sheep that run here on the reservation I think range range management is important for us to understand and even down in Texas like you said they had to pull cattle off just for the vegetation's sake and that's so true, yeah. Well, yeah, and you know, and uh, your livelihood depends on it, taking care of that land. So, and and you know, certainly that a long time ago, uh, when they first started opening the West and running cattle and plumb on up into the early 1900s, they had no concept. They thought that there was, it was endless. And uh, the land ha had been abused. But the modern rancher today understands it and uh, knows his livelihood depends on it. And they are the best caretakers of the land. They will be the first ones to suffer if they abuse it. So they take care of it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I know that there's it's controversial right now about range management and I don't know, non non beef eaters or whatever you want to call them. And that's even more of a strain on the, the environment than they even realize. And I, I don't know, one day I hope that everything will be okay. But that's another thing that I'm passionate about is making sure that the beef industry and the cowboy industry will always be top par to everything around for me, especially, but I'm just grateful that you gave us, gave me time to talk to you. And do you have any other stories you want to share? Or let me ask you this. What's your favorite piece that you've ever created? Oh, wow. Uh, the next one. I bet Don's really happy with that answer. <laughs> Don always says that in class. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And that's true. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm a lot better now than I was 40 years ago. <clears throat> but uh, 
see things differently than I used to. And I hope I can keep improving. If I ever do, I think I'm done. I'll quit. We don't want that. <laughs> I for sure don't want that. Can you explain the photo or the painting that you have behind you? Oh yeah, that's that's a Bell Ranch painting. Uh, it is it is uh, uh, near a place that Mesa in the background is back here. It's uh, Gabilon Mesa, which means hawk. This is a place uh, uh, where they work cattle a lot. It's Roundup ground. Uh, we gathered those cattle, and this guy's cut dries. Uh, you know, uh, you want to cut those dries out because you don't want to have to support a cow that's not going to have a calf. They usually sell them or, or at least segregate them somewhere where they can maybe put them with a bull and, and get them productive. But uh, uh, talking about the detail, you should be able to look at the bag on that cow right there until mm -hmm. she's dry. So, so that's cutting the dries. And of course, it's a work in progress. Um, there's a whole lot of adjusting, you know, painting is a correction of mistakes, but sometimes you have to make the mistake before you know it's wrong and be able to correct it. So it is in the really early stages. And ultimately when it's finished, the dust that that herd of cattle is creating gonna really spotlight this this cowboy on the Bayron horse. You're telling me eyes painting the feet of the cows or like the legs. <laughs> well yeah. Uh, when you do a painting of like like that Ramuda painting that you showed a while ago or or a painting like this, it, it'll make you crazy. Because there's a lot of a lot of stuff, information in there. You got a cow, she needs two ears and four legs and one tail. You kind of got to make sure they're there because some cowboy will walk up to it someday. So, well, look at that three legged cow. <laughs> and I don't want, I don't, it's actually happened to me before. Uh, a horse was standing just right and he looked three legged in the photograph. It didn't take very long for one, some of my friends to point out my mistake. I don't know if you're comfortable sharing the story about you repainting an image uh, from the Western Horseman on Boots O'Neill. I don't know if you're willing yeah. to share that. No, I, I know I, I've told it many times. Mm -hmm. When I was trying to get started, uh, shoot, I didn't even have a camera or anything. And, and so I kind of plagiarized photographs out of Western Horsemen and anything else, Arizona highways, anything I thought that looked good, but I'd try to change it up and make it my own. And, and this is in the seventies. Um, there was a picture of Boots O'Neill standing in front of the barn, had a bridle in his arm and on his arm. And, you know, they were probably going to catch horses or something. And so, of course, I and I've known Boots. In fact, we became friends, which is a great honor. But uh, I changed it all up. I give him a different style hat. I put on some different leggings and all that. It was the very first art show I ever had, and it was in Tucumcari, New Mexico, in a little art gallery. And you know, I invited all my cowboy buddies. Hope somebody buy something. One of them walked in there, and I, I didn't get within 10 feet of that painting. He says, well, that's Boots O'Neill out of September Western Horseman. <laughs> so that that really opened my eyes, and, and that's when I began to want to take my own photographs and do my own thing. It's another mistake that you corrected, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think that's one of the quotes that'll always play in my mind right now from you. A mistake is something that you have to correct in art. And I feel that's so true, especially when I'm photographer, like when I'm taking photos, 
I take a gazillion photos, but there's different angles that I could use and different positionings and all that. And you with your paintbrush, there's different strokes that you could do or the mixing of the colors. And you showed me a technique on how you were preserving your acrylics. And I've, I've never seen that done because I don't paint all that often. And seeing that just preserving and your ways of your process was so interesting. It was like actual professionally done. And I've never been to a professional studio and I was so enamored by it. Well, if I live long enough, I'm going to learn how to do it. But yeah, it's just in the, in the doing and, and experience, time, and all those things, you know. You ought to learn something if that's what you do a lot. And you will. But it's easier to correct a painting, a mistake on a painting than in your photographs. I think it's harder to take a great photograph than anything. Okay, I haven't done it. I haven't done it yet. I haven't as well. <laughs> oh, you have. That's a great photograph behind. And it has meaning. Yeah. What other places that you've been that had held a really good significance with you and your art what's one show i know you don't do a lot of shows but what's one show that you enjoy showing at or showed at you know i don't do many shows anymore i haven't done a show in 10 years i don't think but uh, i used to have a show somewhere in the country every month and that was just out of necessity because the bills hit every month mm -hmm. and, uh, so Probably one of my favorites was Cheyenne Frontier Days. They have a show up there that's called the Governor's Invitation. It happens during Frontier Days, third week in July. And the whole daddy of them all, that's the tagline for that rodeo. It was always fun to go up there. Uh, you'd always see people there that you wouldn't see anywhere else. And the art show was very good, too. I sold a ton of art up there. And it was always just a great place to be during the Daddy of them all. Mm -hmm. I think that was probably my favorite. Oh, yeah. I did. I was honored. I did the. Uh, posters for them about three different times. Uh, the last one I did was their 100th anniversary. And, and that was quite an honor for me. Amazing, 100 years. Yeah. And you, were the, you were the one that they chose to do the poster for them. Do you, I know you showed me the image of that and it was um, a developed image. That, which I haven't held in a long time, and I was so floored by it. Do you want to explain which photo it was or the painting? Uh, it was a painting of Frontier Days, mm -hmm. uh, the classic cowboy event, saddle bronc riding. Uh, and, and is in the arena at Cheyenne. Uh, and two or three things. Uh, uh, the horse is the classic saddle bronc pose. Uh, you know, the cowboy's got his, his free hand out and his, his feet are setting on that horse's shoulders. And to me, that's the classic when you think saddle bronc. But then in the background, uh, there's a fellow riding a black horse and that is Harry Volt. And Harry passed away a few years ago, but they called him the Duke of the Shoots. And uh, he, he was the stock contractor for Cheyenne Frontier Days. I couldn't tell you how many years. And, and consequently, he also became Scott stock contractor at our WRCA rodeos in Amarillo. Just a great guy. and He was real rodeo royalty. And great, great fun to talk to and all of that. So. I felt like if we were going to talk about Cheyenne Frontier Days, Harry Bold needed to be in the picture. I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate from your artwork is that your artwork has a lot of representation and a lot of meaning, a lot of meaning to it. 
and that I appreciate the concept of every artwork. That's what I'm drawn to is the concept. Yeah, everything looks pretty on paper. Everything looks so like the technique is there, the, everything, the principles and everything's there. But I like hearing the story behind it. I'm very vocal and very like ear driven. I want to hear the story. I want to know what your art, what you have to say about your artwork. I like to hear that. So I'm always drawn to the concept of people's work and what they have to do and how they, what they, their explanation of it. And hearing you talk about that, but the story of Harry Bold, my dad has stories of him too. He used to contract here on the reservation and my dad used to ride his bulls and his broncs and everything. And he called my dad his son and he was so glad. And I told when, when I came back from Sapio, I told my dad about you talking about Harry Vole and he's like, he knows him too. I was like, dad, everyone knows Harry Vole, not just oh, yeah. you, but everyone does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was like Elvis, you know, he's mm -hmm. been everywhere. Uh, met a lot of people he, he, and he's just such a great gentleman, a great guy. Mm -hmm. uh, really like to buck cowboys off. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we're nearing an hour, Gary. I'd just like to thank you. And I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to talk with me about the creative cowboy conversations. I titled it that. I don't know. I, I started this creative cowboy thing just to talk to cowboys who are creative in the arts. And I wanted to hear their stories about their concepts about art and about ranching and furthering the creative industry with the western industry alongside of it so i'm just very thankful and appreciative that you agreed to come talk to me and talk with everyone else and thank you for that gary and if thank anyone you. else oh, what's that thank you thank you for having me let me rattle on for an hour it's been my pleasure and if anyone has any questions for Gary, I don't know if you have time to answer questions, Gary. Sure, I'll do whatever. Okay. So yeah, if anyone I, has any questions. Yeah, I have a question. This is Don. Uh, you, <clears throat> have you worked with oils? Yes, I have. Uh, did quite a bit in the early days. Uh, and I was not patient enough. Yeah, okay. And then, uh, so you worked with Felix a lot. Yes. Okay. I um, I did oils. Uh, in fact, even sculpted for a while, um, and and originally got in the water media with watercolor, transparent watercolor, and then moved to gouache, uh, the opaque watercolor, and and it made it very simple and easy to go to acrylic, but mm -hmm. from gouache to acrylic, and and I. I really like the idea that the uh, acrylic painting uh, can be on paper. That, uh, yeah, I can do. I can use it like a watercolor. Mm -hmm. It can be on canvas. I can use it like an oil. And and uh, of course, in the competitive market of going to art shows, sort of competing with other artists, I found glass to be a a, a detriment because you're trying to show your work and there's glare all over it or something. Oh yeah. And so I wanted to get away from that. So I just started doing acrylics and, and I still do some that are, are basically watercolors and get them framed with glass on them and all that. But the bulk of mine is acrylics on canvas or masonry. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> so in order to keep your acrylics, acrylics uh, from drying up so quickly, do you work in one particular area and move to certain areas, or how do you do that? Well, uh, no. In fact, I want them to dry. And, and in fact, years ago, I used to have a hair dryer to make them dry faster. Oh, cool. Because, because I work with uh, uh, basically a lot of glazes. Oh, okay. And, and you know, on some... You know, the thing, the, the worst thing about acrylic is you can't blend it like you can in oil. Yeah, yeah. For like a sky or something, boy, you can knock out a sky real quick with an oil. But like uh, for an acrylic sky, you you have to paint. And, and I sort of use a uh, stipple technique to get that graduation of color. Uh, so you, you kind of got to make it look like it's blended, but it's really not. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the, 
the thing Kayla was talking about as far as how I, I have my palette and my paint is important with acrylics. Uh, and and I'll, I'll move this computer over there and show you. I laid down a, a bed of paper towels and I use palette paper to put on top of that. I soak it wet and then squeeze the paint out on that palette paper. And, and when I'm not using it, painting it, I uh, keep it covered with glass. Okay. I don't know if you see that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. That's the paper towels. That's the palette paper. And it's all soaking wet. So when I, and I just squeeze this paint out because I, I was, I told Kayla I was a little late getting started because I was squeezing out a new palette of paint. And I'll cover that up and that paint will soak up some of that water. Mm -hmm. It'll get really uh, buttery looking and uh, it's ready, it'll be ready to go tomorrow. Yeah, good. So paper towels getting expensive now. <laughs> Pardon me? Paper towels get expensive. <laughs> yeah. You better buy a whole box and case of them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep. Uh, you know, you know, it, it, in the winter, uh, uh, those paints will stay wet uh, a long time. In fact, they the reason I'll throw them out is because they get moldy, oh, and they're, okay. they're still wet enough to use. Yeah, um, we used to, uh, there's a place called Flying V in Carrizo in the CBQ. Word <clears throat> cattle out there, brush popping. And they used to call uh, <clears throat> some of the, our bosses straw bosses. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the days. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting that subject. There's many names for the boss. <laughs> Yep, straw boss. <laughs> well, I appreciate you uh, sharing your your wisdom with us as far as uh, you doing your work. I like your work. Well, thank you, you very much. Work. Thank you like very you much. You said before, you know, you're you're still working on your best piece. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. And then I, I think maybe you must be an art teacher. Yes, I, I instruct art. Oh, cool. I do uh, uh, 2D design, color theory, and painting. So it's it's fun. Uh, yeah. Again, it pays the bills. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I give all credit to teachers. Um, I had an art teacher in junior high school. Mm -hmm. at, uh, and I couldn't tell you exactly what he did, but, but I'm he encouraged me, I guess. That's good. That's it good. made a, it made a difference. I still remember it to this day. That's good to hear. They say it's a noble profession, but who knows, you know, teaching. <laughs> yeah. I'm still in it. Well, that's cool. Thank I appreciate you. what you do. Thank you. Keep up the good work. We'll do it. I got, I got to figure this thing out. I'm going to stay with it till I do. Good. Yeah, Don's, Don's been my professor at Danette College for, shoot, since I transferred there way back when. I feel so old when I think about it, but I've, I've taken all of his classes. I think one of my favorite classes I took from him was his Native American art history class. That really opened up my eyes to the different different arts that are out there, especially with Native American art, especially the Pacific Northwest. I was always excited about their carving and their, their, their intricate designs. But I know Don's been here and he's a cowboy, so he's, he's pretty cool. <laughs> Me? Yeah, yeah I, I think... Uh... I think I would like that class. <laughs> yeah. Do you still teach that, Don? Uh, no, Carla, Dr. Britton's teaches it now. Oh, yeah. So, which is mm -hmm. good. But yeah, that Remington and uh, Frederick, 
uh, Remington and uh, what's the other guy's name? Russell. Yeah, Russell. They had, they had they had teachers. I mean, they had students, and they were Native Americans. I'll uh, be darned. Yeah, they uh, somebody Lone Star. You can Google it, Lone Star, and you'll see some of the works. I'll be darned. I, I will. Yeah. Well, you know, and I appreciate just like Russell, he's the ultimate cowboy artist. Yeah. Uh, but he also painted the native people, but he he lived with them and didn't knew them. And that matters to me. Yeah. 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 Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, boys. <laughs> and my sister as well but thank you so much for the both of you you guys are my mentors my inspiration and one day I want to be just as good as both of you guys are versefully and artistically so thank you guys so much